Welcome to the Let's Talk About Talking podcast with your host, Adrian Fuller, language and communications expert for kids of all ages. On this podcast, we talk about speech, language, and all things happening with your child, giving you specific tactical information you can use to help your kids talk, listen, and thrive in their academic journey. Hello, everybody. This is Adrian. I just want to say thank you for joining me for the Let's Talk About Talking podcast. And I hope all is well with you guys. Remember, this is a podcast for parents and caregivers, even new therapists. And we talk about all things speech, language, and academics from beginning when they're really small to up to graduation and even into their 20s. And so today I am so excited. Now we did have some technical difficulties, but you know what? Two people that are determined cannot be stopped. And so I just am so excited to welcome my Laura Spellman to the podcast. Hi, my Laura. Hello, good afternoon. But we are and friendship overcomes everything. That's right. That's right. You guys, let me just tell you about my Laura. She is the owner of Spellman Reading and Language Center. And they just had an office change. She if you are in the Central Florida area and you are looking for the most awesome person to work with or expert to work with any kids like dysgraphia, dyslexia, learning disabilities. She is it. And now she has a little cottage that is an office and it is adorable. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I always have admired my Laura because I don't know, you started your private practice. 2005. Okay, so way before I did. I started in 2011. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, but you guys, she has this great practice that focuses only on, would you say you focus only on reading and writing? Reading, writing, and language. Reading, writing, and language. And so, my Laura, first of all, welcome. Thank you for coming. But can you thank tell you me? Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. But <laughs> tell me about your journey. Like, I'm always, I always want to know what made you pick or start being a speech language pathologist? And then what made you start to kind of really niche down and be very specific about who you treated? So it has been quite a journey for me. Um, You know, when I originally was in graduate school, I had had experience in the school system before Mm -hmm. I went to graduate school, just as an itinerant speech and language therapist. So when I went to graduate school, I already had that experience. So I didn't do any other school placements for graduate school. Uh I did hospital placements. And then I did a placement with a private practice um, that worked with kids that had learning disabilities and reading and writing issues. So I thought, "Hmm, ding, ding, ding. I like this. This might be something I want to go into. But that was just, you know, one semester's kind of internship while I was there. I was very much interested in doing rehab and swallow studies and all the other things that we learn as a speech and language therapist, mm-hmm. you know, neurogenic stroke patients, things like that. Mm-hmm. But when I left graduate school, um, I came back into the Orlando area and uh, took a position as a speech and language therapist in the school system once again. And so I was working with kids, pediatrics, while also doing some rehab and hospital work on the side. 
Um, and then, you know, life changes and you, you do some different things. I went to Hawaii for a year. I worked as a contracts SLP in Hawaii for an entire year. Mm. It was wonderful. If anyone gets to go to Hawaii, Adrian and I will both tell you it's amazing. It's amazing. Life changing, right? Yes, it is life changing <laughs> to visit Hawaii. It literally is. So I got to live there for a year. And when I came back from that, I was offered a position with Orange County Public Schools that was as a self-contained language teacher. And those classrooms were uh, specifically for kids who had been identified as a kiddo who had a SLD, an academic-based learning disability in either reading, writing, and or math. And these kids were also speech and language impaired. So it was a specialized classroom setting that I was, was offered to come into um, uh, at the particular school I was at. We had five of those classrooms oh, wow. at different uh, age levels. So I taught the second and third grade classroom, mm -hmm. and I was the classroom teacher for those kids. I was mm -hmm. the classroom teacher, the speech and language therapist. So every all the speech and language was embedded into all of the learning academic activities we did. And in that position, I needed to get certified in reading endorsement. I needed to get certified in the ESOL endorsement. All these different, I had to get additional teaching certifications to be able to do that even though I was licensed by the state of Florida to be an SLP. And I started to love it. Mm. <laughs> I really, really started to love it. I was like, this is my thing. I love reading and writing and the language and the linguistics pieces of that, mm. that go beyond just expressive and receptive language that we mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. It was a really good experience for me. Yeah. And it started me on my journey that I think I want to specialize in this area. And so that is kind of, what happened that's what happened with me um unfortunately the county shut down those classrooms and <laughs> sent all the kids back to their home schools it was during that time when things were changing um so i changed counties and went to a different county where i could still keep teaching self-contained speech and language um and then i met some more of my students that were very dyslexic very dysgraphic and language impaired and I decided I'm going to specialize in this. And mm -hmm. I started doing my own certifications uh, through different agencies that were not part of the school system. Own certifications, own learning, own professional development. And that is what started me in that journey. Well, for our listeners, I always like to circle back around when I hear any acronyms. And actually... My Laura, our, our journeys are very similar because I exactly. was an SLD teacher in a self-contained room, seventh and eighth grade though, but I was all subject to those, for those kids and right. for, for the listeners, SLD is specific learning disability and ESOL is English as, English as a second language? English as a second language. Okay. Yes. And mm -hmm. so I'm with you though. I really, on one hand, the kids were segregated. They were pulled out. and they, So I get why the push was to go in. But oh my goodness, the, the progress and what I was able to do with my class was really quite, quite magical. Like when I look back on it, we had good yeah. times in those classrooms, didn't we? Yes, we totally did. And you could 
create your lessons and be mm-hmm. systematic and you can hit all of this language and literacy and learning uh, content in so many ways to make it come alive for those kids. Because those kids needed it to be yes. taught in a bit of a different way and they needed it to come alive. So you could do so many neat things. So like we did cooking once, like we made a cake, we made, we made dinner. I mean, it was just so cool. So yes, while we love yeah. that we're able to push exactly. into the class, but that was, those were good times. <laughs> just get down to it because let's talk about dyslexia i think it's a buzzword that people think they know what it is but i don't think we know do you think we know i don't think most people know (laughs) and so that is a great question um so uh one of the things i do as well i'm on the board of directors for the international dyslexia association's florida branch so every state has their own branch that's part of ida international dyslexia association um and I love that. We get to plan conferences and plan webinars and professional development and things like that to just kind of get the real information about dyslexia out there. Um, but one of the things I do for IDA and then also in my classes that I teach at the college level is we do some dyslexia simulation activities to mm-hmm. kind of have people understand what dyslexia is and what it isn't. And so the biggest myth uh, that's out there about, well, actually, let me start with what it is. <laughs> So what dyslexia is, is it is a specific learning disability, so not a global learning disability, a very specific learning disability that deals with um, linguistics and the phonology system. So our kids who have difficulty with dyslexia tend to have very good listening comprehension and often strong language skills, often Mm -hmm. very strong oral language skills but they have a specific deficit in the ability to sound out a word mm-hmm. or what we call decoding the word. Now, on the flip side of that, encoding or spelling words. And they have that difficulty at the single word level, which affects their reading fluency and how fast they can read and how smoothly and how accurately they can read, which then affects their reading comprehension. That is what dyslexia is. That, that's all it is. And sometimes on the internet, yeah. you see all of these things about, oh, it's a, so special and it's so different. It's not. It's just a learning disability in reading. That's exactly mm. what it is. Um, I'm sorry. And that is what it, I'm yeah, so sorry. But let me just stop. And I hope everyone heard all of that. Because I feel like on television, on it's like, yeah. oh, we read words backwards. We have this horrible life and we're dyslexic. And I'm not saying it's not a bad thing. I'm just saying... I really appreciate you breaking it down so simply for us. Yes, it is very simple. It's just the inability to decode and word attack and sound out words well. That's exactly what it is. Um, I oftentimes, that the biggest myth that I hear about dyslexia, and it's when I teach my college students or teach teachers or teach parents, a lot of people think it is seeing letters backwards or reading letters backwards. That's just a myth that's been around forever. And that is because before we had neuroimaging studies and before we knew what was happening in the brain with reading, uh, if your child had dyslexia, they couldn't read well. And so the first thing you think is, well, they must not be able to see the letters well. They must not, something's going on with the visual system. They they can't see it. Mm -hmm. So they must Mm -hmm. be seeing the letters backwards or reading the, the words backwards. Not at all. So dyslexia actually has nothing to do with the visual processing system at all. Nothing. Mm. It is um, because they can't read or sound out the words. 
They also don't retrieve the sound that letters make. There's often retrieval issues. So when kids look like they're reading backwards, it's because they're not retrieving the sound for the letter. They're not ha- they're able or they're having difficulty holding it in mm-hmm. their working memory, mm-hmm. their immediate memory, and then being able to blend it through the word, hold mm-hmm. on to that and keep reading. So they're just not retrieving it well and they're not able to decode and blend. So it has nothing to do with seeing letters backwards. That's one of the biggest myths that's out there. Well, thank you for putting that straight. I My know. goodness. And, yes, and does everybody <laughs> hear me again? It's not reading backwards. But it's definitely not. <laughs> If dyslexia is not addressed and treated, though, mm-hmm. that difficulty reading can compound and get bigger, right? Or Yes, okay. it gets so much bigger, right? So we think about younger children, like in kindergarten and first grade, they're learning their letters and their letter sounds, and they're starting to learn how to read and blend what we call a CVC word, a consonant vowel consonant word, mm-hmm. like the word bat or mm-hmm. dog. And then we started adding additional letter patterns to that. That's okay. called orthographic processing. It's kind of the, the new buzzword that everyone's talking about. Um, and it just means being able to understand those letter patterns, retrieve them, blend it, and read it all instantaneously. Mm-hmm. So if a kid does not have difficulty with reading and is not dyslexic, they're going to pick that up mm-hmm. on their own. And they're going to pick it up through regular classroom instruction. And it's not going to be an issue. For kids that have dyslexia, they are not going to pick it up through regular classroom instruction. They need more specialized and more intensive instruction that deals with uh, their difficulty with decoding and retrieval. Um, the road can be long for that sometimes, but you know our school systems now have response to intervention and they're doing intervention groups where they're recognizing that kids might need extra help with something, tier mm-hmm. two and tier three kiddos, mm-hmm. and they're getting some of that specialized intervention, and that is good. That's what we need to happen yes. because kindergarten through third grade, roughly, you're reading to decode, and then you hit third grade, and it's comprehension. comprehension. You're reading to comprehend. Mm-hmm. And if you can't read the words and you can't do it fluently or easily, you are not going to comprehend what you read. And then that's going to carry over into science, social studies, math, word problems, all of these other um, types of content that kids have to know, they're going to start falling further and further behind. And it's not because they can't learn the content. Mm -hmm. They don't have a global delay. They just have a very specific learning disability in reading and writing. And if you were to present that information to them uh, orally and ask them to give you uh, answers orally, they most often can learn it mm-hmm. and they, and they know how to show you they've learned the content, but if it's just presented in a written and writing and reading form, they're not necessarily going to be able to show you what they're learning. So then the gap for learning gets bigger, bigger and bigger and bigger, unfortunately. Yeah. I can just imagine. I think sometimes in our busy lives, we are thinking, oh, the kid doesn't want to try. I still hear that a lot. And it really hurts my heart. Like they don't want to try or they're lazy or they're stubborn. But I mean, if you can imagine a job being so difficult every time you tried to do it, you wouldn't want to do it anymore. So like if you're if you're learning or reading a grade level science book, but you're still stuck on that decoding part. And now you have the job of also having to answer questions. You're like, man, I'm just trying to get through it. I can't even go any higher level. So that was really, that's it. Yeah, that is so, so true. And um, what is a kid's job? 
their job is to be at school five mm-hmm. days a week mm-hmm. for most of the day, seven yes. hours a day. And the majority of what they do involves reading, reading something. The mm-hmm. only time they're not reading is if they're doing, you know, maybe physical activities or they're doing computation yes. with math, you know, just adding and subtracting. But the majority of what kids do every single day for hours a day mm-hmm. is to mm-hmm. be able to access things through reading. And if our kiddos can't do that because they're dyslexic, sure, it's a hard job. Like, yes. We expect them to be able to do all these things and just like, why aren't you finishing your homework? Why aren't you reading mm-hmm. that quickly enough? Um, why aren't you able to write out your answers? Sometimes the kids that I work with that are dyslexic, they become the class clown. Mm-hmm. They become the kids who have a stomach ache every single day mm-hmm. because they know reading is coming up. They're the kids who go to the bathroom seven times a day because they don't want to be asked to read. All of these things happen, and I just, like you said, it hurts your heart. Um, not everybody understands how hard it is mm-hmm. for these kids to be in school and to be asked to do a job that they inherently have trouble with, and they're asked to do it every single day in the classroom with everybody watching them. Everyone watching them. Yes. Wow. So I'm going to just park here for just a second. Parent, if you've noticed that your child is acting out or skipping or sometimes let's maybe talk about why maybe look at why it's happening and not that it's happening like I come from the old school and you're like you're gonna listen to your teacher you're gonna do what you but sometimes there's a re most times there's a reason behind that kind of action so is there a such a thing then my Laura as being too young like what age should we start to like look a parent should start to look for and maybe start to look for outside help or get outside testing okay great question so first thing is if a child has a history of speech and or language delay like maybe as a preschooler they were working with a speech and language therapist Unfortunately, the research shows us that those kids have a much higher risk for reading disorder. And part of the reason for that is because their underlying language system and their underlying phonology sounds and letters and things like that has been impaired mm-hmm. in the past as a younger child. So that's the first thing. If, if your child has a history of that and then they're entering VPK, perhaps voluntary pre-K, and they're having a lot of trouble learning those letter sounds because that's one of the things they're supposed to be learning in BPK, letter names and then beginning letter sounds. Um, and then they enter kindergarten and they're still having a lot of trouble learning letter sound correspondence. That's a huge red flag. In general, kids should be picking it up, you know, mm-hmm. kind of as they move along if they're exposed to the regular general curriculum. But if a kiddo has that history, then you need to be you need to pay more attention to how they're doing on those beginning reading skills because that is a red flag. Also, if there's family history. Mm-hmm. So immediate family history of mom, dad, you have any difficulties or had any difficulties with reading and writing, dyslexia, and any type of specific learning disability mm-hmm. is highly familial. It runs in families. It does. So we see this quite a lot. So if mom or dad had some difficulty or also I see it with uncles and aunts mm-hmm. and sometimes get, you know carry over generation there uncles and aunts may have never finished school or always had difficulty in school or never liked to read things things that you hear about in the family mm-hmm. that can be a red flag too so those are just like initial red flags to, to think about but upon entering kindergarten 
the kids are going to start focusing more on sound letter correspondence. They're going to start focusing on specific letter patterns and being able to read and write with those. It is true that some kids are not always developmentally ready for what's happening in kindergarten. And that is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to tease those kids out until you've gotten through kindergarten. And so that's one of the reasons we will say we typically don't diagnose or start evaluating kids for a reading disorder until the end of kindergarten because we want them to have a year Mm -hmm. of consistently learning the alphabetic principle and consistently learning phonology Mm -hmm. within the classroom before we can say, okay, they're not getting it. They're behind. Something's happening there. So typically we will not be diagnosing or or even recommending an evaluation before the end of kindergarten. What we can do is with late pre-K and in kindergarten, we would still evaluate their language skills because if we see that language skills such as phonological awareness skills are impaired, those are the things that are like rhyming, being able to understand rhyming. Uh, If I give the word bat, can they tell me the first sound is b? You know, can they segment and identify those sounds? Those are called phonological awareness skills. Kids who are probably, most probably going to show up as dyslexic a little bit later tend to have phonological awareness skills that are impaired and are delayed. So that's one of the things we'll look for. Um, But I myself, I may start to evaluate a kiddo in kindergarten, and I'm going to look at those language skills and phonology skills and phonological awareness skills, but I may give a provisional diagnosis that they are language impaired in these areas Mm because those are areas of language, but they have not met the criteria for an SLD diagnosis yet. And so that's why I kind of recommend for the most part, wait until the end of kindergarten. So I think you bring up a really good point, especially for parents who are like, this one has run in my family. I remember having this issue. We had this whole COVID thing that my kid mm-hmm. wasn't even in school. And but now she's saying she can't even do anything. But I'm saying parents, speech language pathologists all over work. If you don't have to have a niche, we all work mm-hmm. with this uh, phonemic awareness, yes. phonological awareness of rhyming words and do does this sound alike so if you're even notice difficulty with those things which is on your child's vpk assessment mm-hmm. that that should that can also be a trigger for you to seek at least a speech language pathologist for that area until mm-hmm. we can get them to see the mylors or they see the staffing specialist so don't let that age stop you from doing nothing from doing yeah, anything let me, let me add on to that too and if your kiddo is maybe a, it's just a kiddo who may be weak in those areas. Mm-hmm. If you can get with a speech and language pathologist that can do those types of things, it's almost like preventive therapy. Yes. And it's a good thing. It's yes. a good thing. Because if they're having difficulty with that and you can do very specific intervention for them and then they enter kindergarten with having had that intervention, that may be what they needed. That wow. may be enough yes. to get them moving Um, You know, it depends. We'll have to see how the kiddo's uh, working on things, you know, mid to end of kindergarten. But preventive therapeutic therapy is a good thing, especially if your kiddo's having weaknesses in those areas. And yes, every SLP can work on those pre-reading skills, those linguistic skills. Every SLP does that. And almost every plan, including 
government plans, commercial plans will cover speech therapy in some way. So it doesn't, and, and I'm, the goal is to make this podcast for everyone. So whether you can afford it out of pocket or not, it's something that everyone can have access to, right? Yes, definitely, definitely. So as we're kind of maybe shutting down, can you tell me what the assessment process would look like for you? The testing sure. process? Sure, and I'll give you a little bit of information how it might happen in a private setting, and then I'll give you a little information about how it happened in the school setting as well. Thank because you. Because everyone's got different options to do, yes. Um, so I, I actually, when someone reaches out to me for the first time and is, is asking about evaluation, so the first thing I do is I ask some questions, and I say, what are you seeing? Is, this school, is it a school-age child? Have they identified the child's behind? You know, I want to see data first. I want to see what's happening. Mm-hmm. The first thing is, and let me just make sure everyone's hearing this, the school system must complete an evaluation for your child if you request it in writing. You must request it in writing. It does not count if you tell the teacher you're worried about your child and you'd like to have them seen. It doesn't count. You must request it in writing. And once you do that, it kicks in a timeline that the school has to respond to you once you've given them that in writing. Mm -hmm. So that is literally the first piece of advice I give to parents when they reach out to me first. I say, you've got different options to do evaluation. Here's the first option. And if you want to do that, here's how you do it effectively. Um, Can I throw out a website? Please. That I love? Okay. So we have a local advocate here in town. Her name is Pam Lindemann. And her website is a wealth of information. Ah. It is www.thethieiepadvocate.com. She has um, a section on her website that has a template to make a letter in writing to request evaluation for your child. So I send people there and I say, go take a look at that letter. So that's the first thing. The school system must do it. And also, If your child's been identified as a kiddo who needs intervention, perhaps they were, all children receive tier one services, which means regular curriculum. Then if your child might be having difficulty, they might say, we're going to put your child on tier two services, which means small intervention groups. Mm -hmm. And then it can go up to tier three services. Um, Even if your child is in intervention, tier Mm -hmm. two or tier three, it cannot stop your request for an evaluation if it is in writing. Sometimes I hear that, mm-hmm. that schools might say, I, I have we're, heard that. we're doing intervention, we don't need to assess. No, yeah, you kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you do. So just know that for parents who are listening, if someone tells you that, no, that's wrong. And you can go back to them and say, no, I know what the law says. Right. And I know that we need to do this. We need to have a meeting to discuss. Okay, so that's the first thing. You can ask the school to assess the child. Um, If someone comes to me for assessment, so like I said, I get all of that background information first. I want to know kind of what the school's been doing. Are they looking at evaluation through the school? Is there anything else coming in? But then if someone decides to work with me for an evaluation, we, my office looks specifically at everything related to language and literacy. That is my specialization. So the assessment's pretty detailed, and Mm -hmm. usually families come see me at least two times, two different 
um, timeframes of a couple hours each to go through different parts of assessment because we're looking to make possibly a differential diagnosis. Are we looking at issues that are just language related, underlying receptive expressive language? Are we looking at issues that include phonology and decoding? Mm -hmm. Are we looking at mm -hmm. issues that deal with working memory, processing speed, things like that? So my, my uh, evaluations tend to be a little bit detailed, but it's because I'm digging down mm -hmm. and I'm trying to figure out what is the underlying issue that's causing this child's difficulties. So just different things I assess for. We look at all the areas of language, vocabulary, grammar, syntax, listening comprehension, conversational skills, oral expression, all of these things. And then we look at decoding and decoding sounding out, mm -hmm. encoding, spelling, uh, oral reading fluency, how smoothly they read, how quickly they read, and how accurately they read. Uh, we look at reading comprehension in different contexts, because reading comprehension is really large. It's it very, very large, many. extremely. We look at vocabulary. Um, I look at written expression, depending on the age of the child. Mm -hmm. They are writing a few sentences for me, or they're writing a paragraph for me, or an essay for me. And I'm analyzing all of those pieces. So it's anything that has to do with language, reading, writing, and spelling. And based on all of that information, I can determine what's going on, what's the underlying issue. And then we do all of that. I meet with the parents for an additional meeting that's grown-ups only, no kids. And that's where we go over everything, go over recommendations, and I give parents advice on what they need to do next. That's how I work with it. This is very specific. That's a very comprehensive evaluation. So if there's someone listening and they're thinking, well, that didn't happen when I went. Every provider does things a little different, uh, but the concepts are the same. Like you get yes. the information, parent, and we we make recommendations what we think is best for your child. But at the end, you're the parent, and we want you to know that we're going to support what you do. We mm -hmm. just we just want to make sure you get and understand the information and where we're coming from. And can I add one more thing that I just know it's something parents have a concern about sometimes mm -hmm. and just speaking with all my parents or parents are deciding to look at a possible diagnosis of something. I know it can be hard at the end of that process mm -hmm. if your child is diagnosed with a learning disability or a learning difference. It, it's hard. Mm -hmm. I, I, I totally it understand is. that. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that from, from my perspective and from those who uh, those of us who evaluate and, and diagnose kiddos if we know what's going on, if we pinpointed it mm -hmm. and we've dug down and we know exactly what's happening, that means we can intervene mm -hmm. and we can remediate because mm -hmm. we know what it is. Mm -hmm. And so even though that's kind of scary sometimes to go through that process, if we know what's happening, well, then we can work on it and we can improve it and your child will be much happier for it and will start to improve their skills. So I know parents have a concern about that sometimes and it's kind of a, a journey it to is. go down that road but if we can identify it we can remediate it yes very i i 100 percent agree and i really appreciate you saying that and i, I just want to say thank you so so much for joining us today if people have questions and they want to get in touch with you your how can they get best get in touch with you so the best way to get in touch with me is actually through email and that's because i'm working with kids 
all day, every day in different settings. Um, and it's a lot easier for me to answer your questions and for you to give me specific information if it's through email and I can email you at night and you can review it and get back to me the next day. So email is best um, just because I rarely answer the phone during the day. Um, so my email is mylaura, it's M-I-L-A-U-R-A, a little bit of a different name, but that is my name, <laughs> mylaura at spellmanreading.com. Very. That is my email. All right. So mylaura at spellmanreading.com. Also, guys, check out the International Dyslexia Association website. Yeah. They give a lot of great free content and, and great free like seminars, webinars that I've found personally helpful with yes. my own practice. And, and so I think they, they are also a great resource. So Yes, definitely. Join us for things. <laughs> yes, join. you, And you guys, they are very generous. Like I've seen you guys give scholarships for parents yep. and providers. So this is not a like a, well, we just don't have the money. We can't. They are very, I feel like you guys are very open to making sure everyone has an opportunity to get the information. Yes, we do try. We do try. All right. Well, my Laura, thank okay. you so much for joining me this afternoon. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Thank you very much. And I enjoyed this. And I can't wait to see you again, Adrian. Bye, guys. Have a great one. You've been listening to the Let's Talk About Talking podcast with your host, Adrian Fuller, language and communications expert for kids of all ages. You can grab Adrian's book, 30 Days to Get Your Toddler Talking, on Amazon or at speechbuilders.org.